If you're turning with me, we're going to be starting in 2 Kings chapter 6. 2 Kings chapter 6. If not, we'll have it up on the screen for you. I'm going to jump around from some different translations today, so it may be easier for you to follow on the screen. But either way, follow along with me. I don't think I've ever preached on this this story that I'm going to use today, and, and we're just going to kind of talk about the story. And um, But I want to get started, so we're going to start in 2 Kings verse six, chapter 6, verse 1. We're going to look at a story that happened with the prophet Elisha. But today I want to talk to you about an accident. Have you ever had one? I'll say everybody in the room's probably had an accident of some kind. Right? Maybe it maybe it was in a car, maybe it was something you did to someone. Um, if you've ever had a puppy or a kid, I'm sure you've had plenty of accidents. There are all different kinds of accidents. And I'm sure that you've had one. What about this? Have you ever been really mad at someone? And then you got calmed down when they said, it was an accident. Or maybe somebody else told you about the person you were real mad at. Hey, it was an accident. Okay, that kind of diffuses the situation. For me, I've been pretty upset with somebody before. And then when I heard, oh, it was an accident. He didn't mean to do that. Right, she didn't mean, she didn't know it was going to cause that much damage. Okay, all right, okay, it was an accident. It can defuse the situation if you find out it wasn't done on purpose. Like they weren't trying to hurt me. The meaning of the word accident is an unfortunate incident that happens unexpectedly and unintentionally, typically resulting in damage or injury. Most of the time, loss. Damage, injury, or loss. That's the results of an accident. But it's unexpected. It's unplanned. No one plans an accident. right? If you plan it, it's not an accident. Oh yeah, I need to set my alarm a little earlier in the morning. I'm going to leave the house about 45 minutes early because I was planning on getting in an accident on the way to work. Well, then it's no longer an accident. It was premeditated, and that's not okay. Right? And a, an accident is not planned. So you don't get to plan your response to the accident. So you, you already have to have it predetermined in your mind what you're going to do when something bad happens, when a situation happens where you experience damage, injury, loss. These things are going to happen. And it's going to be unexpected. So how will you react? Sometimes the accident's your fault and sometimes it's somebody else's fault and there's absolutely nothing you could do about it. Either way. Accidents just happen. So let's look at an accident that happened in 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 1. This, this, I guess the reason I've not preached on it is because I've read this story several times before, and it's, I've always thought, like, why is this in here? 
because we're right in the middle of like God doing some pretty cool miracles and stuff. And right after this, God does an awesome miracle where he saves people's lives and he opens their eyes. He opens the eyes of Elisha's servant so that he can see the angels. And then he closes the eyes of a whole army that's trying to kill him. Like some big, powerful things that really matter. And then right in the middle of it, there's this, this little story here. Look at it. One day the guild of prophets came to Elisha and said, You can see that this place where we're living under your leadership is getting cramped. We have no elbow room. So let me tell you what was going on. Elisha, he was running the school of the prophets. And so back then they were there, the prophets were who heard from God and spoke to the people and then heard from the people and spoke to God. It was like your voice, your connection to God was the prophets. And so Elisha had a school where he was training up these young prophets. And they were like, hey, man, the school's grown so big, we don't even have any elbow room here. There's nowhere to sleep. we got to build a bigger place. Give us permission to go down to the Jordan where each of us will get a log. Like, it won't be that hard. We'll each go chop down a log by the river. And we'll build a roomier place. And Elisha said, go ahead. Can I say if you're growing, then eventually the place that you are in will be too small. We all want to keep growing and progressing. and, And so there's nothing wrong with the fact that your place is too small. That just means you're still growing. Just like in the natural, like when the kid's growing, that winter jacket that you bought them last winter is probably not going to fit this winter. Well, I said a kid, and that's the same for me. I got to get a bigger one every year. (laughs) That's probably not what should happen when you're an adult. But, you know, as a kid, as long as you're growing, we all say we want to keep growing spiritually. We want to keep maturing. We want to keep moving forward. We want to keep taking ground, however you want to say it. You're going to need to build a bigger place. So they said we want to build a bigger place, and he said, go ahead. And one of them said, please, Come along with us. Hey, will you go with us? Now, remember, now, after the cross, we've got Jesus and the Holy Spirit inside of us. But back then, that was their connection to God, was the prophet, Elisha. So he's saying, hey, we want God to go with us. We're going to go do this building project for this new Bible college. We need God to go with us. So, hey, will you please go with us? And he said, certainly. And he went with them. And they came to the Jordan and they started chopping down trees. As one of them was felling a timber, his axe head flew off and sank in the river. Oh no, master. He cried out. And it was borrowed. This guy's upset. Oh no. He runs to Elisha, the prophet, the man of God. And he said, I lost it. It flew in the river. It's gone. It's sunk into the river. And it was borrowed. Like it wasn't even mine. See, back then an axe head was a pretty valuable thing. It was small. It was just a tool that you would work with or you could chop down trees and stuff. But they didn't have many blacksmiths, we know, back then. Because the Philistines killed most of them. And they used the ones that were left to to build swords and armor and stuff like that. So so an axe head was kind of hard to come by. And once you had an axe head, it would last you your whole life. You just resharpen it. You could put a new handle on it. But so this thing was borrowed. And he was upset. And he ran to God. Hey, 
Have you ever borrowed something from somebody and lost it or messed it up? Have you ever borrowed somebody's vehicle and wrecked it and just didn't want to tell them? You ever borrowed money from somebody and didn't have the money to pay them back? I have. Guess what? They show up everywhere. You run into them everywhere. You're at Walmart buying stuff and, oh God, here comes Nathan. Hey man, you got that hundred bucks you owe me? No, I don't have it right now, Nathan. Oh, see you buying yourself a new TV there. Man, why are you looking in my buggy? I'm just kidding. That's a made up scenario. That's not true. I didn't get a new TV. And I don't currently owe Nathan a hundred bucks. <laughs> but you know that feeling like if you've borrowed something from somebody and, and if you've lost it or a tool, like I've borrowed a tool from somebody before and broke it. And then you're like, oh gosh, now I got to try to come up with the money to replace that tool. And it was probably about to break anyways. He probably already smelled smoke coming out of that drill before he let me borrow it. And now I'm going to have to go buy him another $300 Makita drill. Cause, and I'm not talking about a specific situation. So I'm just saying, the shoe fits. That's a bad feeling. To know that you borrowed something from somebody and now you lost it. You messed it up, and there's no way that you can replace it. Like, you don't have the means, the money, the whatever it may be. You, you can't replace it. That's a bad feeling. That's not fun. I also want you to think about, it says it slipped. The axe head just slipped, and he lost it. And that got me thinking about when you're carrying stuff have you ever been carrying something and you feel it slipping you're trying to carry something heavy or you're helping somebody carry something and it's slipping and you know it's too heavy or yeah no you ever moved a foosball's table it's a pain in the butt me and levi moved this giant re- levi i don't know why i said levi me and malachi moved this big refrigerator a few months ago It was the heaviest refrigerator I've ever picked up. And we we had this great plan to roll it, and it wouldn't roll good. And so I backed my truck up to the bottom of these stairs that we had to come down on the deck, and we tilted it back. And it was one of those things where I grabbed the bottom, and I was going to go down towards the truck first, and Malachi was on the top. And when I picked it up, like once I finally got stood up with it, it was like so heavy, I didn't know if I could make it to the truck. But I sure couldn't set it back down then, and Malachi was struggling up on top. But the problem was, he didn't have anywhere to grip, so when we started coming down the stairs, it was slipping. He was losing his grip. You could see it on his face. He was kind of panicking. And when he stepped on that top step on the deck that we were coming down, the, the board was a little bit rotten, and it broke. And so his feet came out from under him, and he fell down underneath the refrigerator. And then the refrigerator slammed into me and pushed me down the stairs and shoved me against my tailgate and I couldn't move it cut my arm and I was bruised and I couldn't get it out and Malachi was laying down up under it where it smushed his foot trying to get up and that's a terrible feeling when something's slipping it's too heavy you feel like you can't hold it anymore 
you're carrying something that you couldn't carry and and it's one thing to be talking about a refrigerator but but what about emotionally what about mentally have you ever felt like you were slipping like I just don't know how long I can do this I'm about to drop it. I'm about to lose it. I'm about to have a breakdown. I don't, I don't know how long I can keep doing what I'm doing. And, and, and I'm putting on a face, but I'm going crazy inside. I don't, I, I don't know if I can keep doing this. And I'm about to slip. I'm about to slip back into anxiety or depression or fear or anger. I don't know if I can keep doing this. What about Spiritually. You ever felt like you were slipping spiritually? Like, hey, you know what? Me and Jesus were good at one time, and I was involved, and, and I was spending my Jesus time, and I was in the Word, and I was in prayer, and I felt God talking to me, and I was talking to God. But now I just feel like I'm losing my grip. Like I don't, I don't know what happened to my relationship. It's slipping, and I, and I don't know how to get a grip. I'm betting you've got some areas in your life where You've had some stuff slipping. I have. Where you lost it. You, you can't grasp it. So let's get back to the young, broke, Bible college student that's freaking out because he lost an axe head that he borrowed to do a good thing. Like It's not like he was making meth. He was chopping down trees to build a school for the prophets. He was doing a good thing. It's not like he was out doing something bad. What? It's just what popped in my mind. Of something bad he could have been doing, all right? Like, it wasn't like he was doing something bad. The guy had good intentions. He was doing a good thing. Maybe it's like that for you. Maybe you felt like, I was trying to do the right thing when it slipped. I was trying to do the right thing when all heck broke loose. When I lost it. So what's wrong with this guy? Didn't he check the axe before he started chopping down trees? Didn't he notice a little wobble? Or that the axe head was loose on the handle because you can just drive a little nail in the top of that thing and it spreads open the wood and it'll hold it a little tighter. Did, did he not check it? Didn't he do maintenance on that axe? He should have noticed it was, there was a little wobble. It was loose. You know, I noticed a little wobble in my truck a few days ago when I was taking Sky to school. And I ignored it because I didn't, I had a bunch of stuff to do and didn't have time. And it was just a slight little wobble. And the next day, that little wobble was a little worse. And by Friday, on the way taking Sky to school, he got a massage. That thing was wobbling good enough on the truck. You could see the armrest bouncing. And I was like, man, I got to figure that out and I looked at it I looked at I was like there must be a knot I knew I needed to change the tires soon and they were getting bald and I was just getting as much life as I could out of them you know trying to be a good steward and uh <laughs> and so 
I knew I needed to change those tires like it was something in the back of my mind and I looked and I didn't really see anything. Well, Friday, it was worse and I was like, I might get a little more out of them and get, another, get through the weekend or whatever. And Nathan had some tires that would fit on my truck so I was like, I'll just talk to Nathan about it at church Sunday or whatever. Came back, did the rest of the stuff I needed to do and it came time to go pick up Sky from school. I jumped in my truck and took off. I was here working on this message. And I took off, and when I hit Buncombe Waco Road and got up to about 50 miles an hour, I thought, man, that thing's worse. By the time I got about up to Love's, the back end of my truck was jumping around like I had my hand up like I was riding a bull. And, and I thought, no, this is dangerous. Pull over. I pulled over, and I went back there and looked in my back tire. I've never seen anything like it. It was kind of cool. It looked like the wires still underneath the rubber had somehow separated themselves and a knot had come up in the middle of the tread about, I don't know, probably eight or ten inch long knot. So my tire actually had a mohawk. Probably not a safe thing to drive on to go pick up Sky from school. So I called Titus. Titus got Sky. And I went ahead and went over to Nathan's and got those eased on over at about 30 miles an hour and got those tires and got it fixed. My point in telling y'all that was I felt the wobble a few days ago. And if I would have dealt with it when it was just a wobble, then I would have been able to do what I was supposed to do Friday. But instead, I wasn't able. I had to call Titus, get him to get Sky. I couldn't go do that. I had to, the whole rest of my day was altered, and I had to change my plans to then fix a problem that if I would have just got out in front of it, and when I felt that wobble, and when I knew there's, there's something wrong here, like figured it out and dealt with it. But I let it go, let it go, let it go. There are usually warning signs before something slips, before a major breakdown, before you lose everything, before there's usually some warning signs leading up to it. Maybe every once in a while it's just completely off guard, catch, but most of the time there's some warning signs. And then people say, well, I just don't know how we got here. I don't know how I got here in my marriage. But, well, there was a wobble, baby. And it was leading up to it. <laughs> but you didn't pay attention. Apparently, this whole axe head flying off the handle was a pretty common thing back then, which is weird to me. I guess they really needed some new technology on, their, on how they fastened axe heads to handles. So much so that they even had a law that told them what to do if and when your axe head flew off of the handle. Look at that law. It's in Deuteronomy 19.5. Deuteronomy 19.5, where it's telling about the city of refuge. And they had certain cities that were known as the cities of refuge. And there were different things that, they could, that you could do in those cities. And this tells right here, verse 5 says, For instance, a man may go into the forest with his neighbor to cut wood. And as he swings his axe to fell a tree, the head may fly off and hit his neighbor and kill him. Well, dang. <laughs> that man may flee to one of these cities and save his life. Bro, y'all, 
axe heads flew off so often back then, like y'all had to make a law that this guy doesn't have to face the death sentence if it flies off and kills his neighbor because it was an accident. He didn't mean to. Like they were neighbors and they were out there cutting trees together, so it was an accident. So he's allowed to then just take off running and if he can get to one of the cities of refuge, he doesn't have to die. What? You know, they don't make up laws or signs or rules just for no reason. They're like it, It's because it happened. Think about that. Like, well, what do we do? Sam and John went out there to cut down a tree and the axe head flew off and John died. Should we punish him or not? It was accident. They needed some new technology with their, with their axe heads were concerned. So, I guess for this young fellow that we're reading about here, at least it was a good thing that it flew in the Jordan River. It didn't kill one of his fellow prophets. He didn't have to run away to a city of refuge. Ecclesiastes 10.10 tells us this. If the axe is dull and its edge unsharpened, more strength is needed. But skill will bring success. What I'm trying to say is axe blades get dull and the head will get loose. A wise person does maintenance before breakdown. Mentally, spiritually, emotionally, and physically. A wise person will do maintenance before the breakdown. Like if you change the oil occasionally, you don't have to replace the engine and it doesn't cost you so much there's not so much loss this is counseling this is self-care like taking care of yourself before a major breakdown when you notice a wobble when you notice I'm slipping when you notice I've lost my edge when you notice I'm not cutting like I used to when you notice what happened to my relationship with God when you notice things are slipping out of my hands and I'm not getting the work done that God's called me to do God called him to cut down a tree and help build the school for the prophets but he wasn't getting it done why because it slipped out of his hands It's self-care. That's It's self-awareness. It's knowing yourself well enough to know I'm, I'm getting in a bad place. I need to correct it. Hey, you know what? I'm, I'm sinking back into a depression. I need to stop doing the things I'm doing to head back down that same old path and try something different. It's being self-aware so that we don't hit a breakdown. I'm getting dull. I'm burnt out. I'm not getting much done. I'm emotionally unstable. Be wise. Be smart. Use your head. Don't lose your head like the guy in the story. Use, use a little bit of wisdom. I heard this story about um, an old man and a younger man. This younger guy came to work on this construction site, 
and he was in his 20s and he was big and strong and he bragged every day about how he was the strongest one on the site and when they got a truckload of plywood in they were all carrying two men to one sheet of plywood and he was carrying two pieces of plywood by himself and talking about how he should get a raise because he was the strongest and the best worker out there and he got more done than anybody out there and finally the old man went to him and said hey Look, I appreciate you, and I know you're a good hard worker and all, but there are a lot of other things that are valuable, maybe even more valuable than your brute strength. Like, you're not the most valuable person on this job site. And he said, oh, yeah, prove it. You want to make a bet? You can't do anything out here that I can't do. And he said, all right, I'll tell you what. On Friday, when we all get paid, I'll bet you your whole paycheck that I could put something in that wheelbarrow and I can carry it from that side of this job site all the way to the other side of the job and then you can't carry it back. He said, what, old man? You think you can put something in that wheelbarrow and you can carry it all the way across there and I can't carry it back? He said, yeah, bet me your paycheck. And the young man said, of course. I just doubled my paycheck this week. Shook his hand. Friday rolled around. They got paid. All the other workers are standing around to see what's going to happen. And the young guy's running his mouth. And he said, all right, old man, what you going to put in that wheelbarrow that you're going to carry across here that I can't carry back? He said, all right, here we go. And the old man grabs the wheelbarrow and he comes over to him and says, get in. Excuse me. He said, get in. You're what I'm going to carry. Use, use your head. It's not all like the scripture we just read in Ecclesiastes. Like when your axe gets dull, take a break and sharpen the axe head. Don't just swing harder. And like it seems like common sense, but that's what we do. We get dull. We notice we're slipping. We're losing it. We're not productive in the things that God's called us to do. And rather than finding out what the problem is and sitting down and sharpening our axe head, instead we just swing a little bit harder. We just wear ourselves out a little bit more. We just sweat a little bit more. We just get more. We just get tireder and tireder and tireder. And we're getting less and less done in the kingdom. And we live decades and we look back and wonder, why wasn't I very productive? Because we never took a minute to take a breath and to get sharp, to sharpen our axe. Be wise. Wisdom is not getting more knowledge. Wisdom is the ability to apply the knowledge that you have. Sometimes we think, ooh, you need to get more wisdom. And you think, oh, well, I need to get smarter. I need to learn more. I need more knowledge. That's not wisdom. Wisdom is learning to apply the knowledge that you have. And you'll get more knowledge, especially if you're applying the knowledge that you have, then you're going to get more knowledge. Use some wisdom. Don't just hear it. Apply it to your life. Use your head. Don't lose your head like this guy did. So he said, oh, no, master. He cried out, and it was borrowed. It's not even mine. The holy man said, where did it sink? Where would you lose it? The man showed him the place, and he cut off a branch and tossed it at the spot. 
on the water. The prophet cuts off a tree branch and chunks it in the water. You know everybody's probably around watching this. And the axe head floated up. Grab it, he said. Man reached out and he took it. What a weird miracle. You see what I was saying? Like, like I've thought in the past, like, God, you wasted a miracle on making iron swim. Some translations say the axe head started swimming. Like, why was this included in the Bible? Why was this one of the miracles that Elisha did? And then I thought, well, you know, we all know, we've talked about before that Elisha asked for a double portion from his mentor, Elijah, and he did exactly twice the amount of miracles as Elijah. And I was like, really, God? Like he wasn't going to quite get double, so you had to throw in a, well, I'll make the axe swim so he'll get double. You know there are no accidents or mistakes or there's no throwaway miracles. If it matters to you, it matters to him. But from the outside looking in, we can sit here and say, hey, man, that, that was small. What did that? It was an axe. It was an axe head. What does that matter? In the grand scheme of things, here a couple thousand years later, who cares, man? It was just an axe head. We, like, but if it matters to you, it matters to God. God's been reminding me of that the last couple weeks. Because I don't know about y'all, but I will almost feel bad or think like, like I know it's not true, but you get in your mind and think, man, I shouldn't bother God with that. There are a lot of people dealing with a lot harder things than that. And if something bothers me, man, I need to just get over that. Like they're having, they're going to war in Afghanistan. And how could I be upset that you know, I woke up this morning and don't have any clean underwear. Now I don't know what I'm going to do, and I'm so upset, right? If it matters to you, it matters to God. Think about if your kid, remember, we're his kids. Think about if your little kid came to you. Your little two-year-old came to you, and they were upset. The world's over because somebody stepped on their sandcastle. You as an adult or as the parent, you know that it's not the end of the world. That the sandcastle got stepped on. But you're not going to belittle your child. You're not going to be mad at them for coming to you with something that wasn't important in the grand scheme of things. If you are, you're not a very good parent. I'm just going to go ahead and tell you. <laughs> like if you're mad at them or you make fun of them, that's not a good, not a good parenting move. And God is a good father. He wants you to come to Him. If it matters to you, it matters to Him. He wants you to bring Him everything. Good, bad. He's not going to get upset. Here's a word for somebody. Your situation doesn't bother God. It never has. And it never will take it to him. In fact, we are invited and instructed to bring it to him. Look at Philippians 4, 6. Paul wrote this. Be careful for nothing or don't worry about anything. Why? Worry doesn't change the future. 
Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. He's saying bring everything to God in prayer. Not some things, not the important things, everything. And what will happen? The peace of God which passeth all understanding, a peace that doesn't make sense, shall keep, that word keep, it was translated keep, it means to guard, like a guard would guard a jail cell. To guard, wait a minute, the peace that passeth understanding shall guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. It'll guard your heart and mind. Peter tells us to cast or unload all of our cares on him because he cares for us. And it doesn't make sense, but peace stands on guard. Peace will guard your heart and your mind. It'll keep you from losing your mind. It'll keep you from losing your heart to all these different things. And, and it will protect your mind and your heart from other things coming in and polluting them. God said, bring it all to me. Everything, big things, little things, small things. If it matters to you, bring it to me. And my peace will stand on guard of your heart and your mind. I'll protect you. I'll give you peace. In John 6, um, Jesus came walking on the water and the disciples were in the boat. You remember the story. And When Jesus came walking on the water and they were afraid, they thought they were going to die. Why? Because there was a storm. And the waves were so big that they were crashing over the sides of the boat, it tells us. And so what was the problem? What was their problem in that moment? The water. And Jesus was walking on top of the problem. And when they realized it and invited him into the boat, there was peace. This is what we just read. When you realize that Jesus, that God is bigger than your problem, he's walking on top of that thing that you thought was such an issue and such a problem, and you invite him into the situation, that's what he brings is peace. That's what he brings is calm when he comes into your situation. That next verse says, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, and whatsoever things are just, and whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, and if there be any praise, Think on these things. Don't go to the negative things. Don't go to the problem. Don't keep dwelling on or thinking on and replaying over and over and over. Where it says, finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true. Maybe think of John 8, 32. And you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. You want a key to freedom? Know the truth. Well, what if I don't feel it? Or what if I've been told a lie? What if I've been told a lie my whole entire life? You can replace it with truth. 
Discipline plus repetition changes the neuro pathways in your brain. Discipline plus repetition literally changes the way you think. You have the power to do that. It's very simple. Discipline, repetition. That's what Paul's trying to say here is, no, think on the good things. Use a little bit of discipline. Find the good and do it over and over and over and over. And you're retraining yourself to find the good, to find God. For what? To have peace flood every situation in your life. To have peace standing guard over your heart and your mind. Worth it. You can do it. Think on these things. Think on the good, not the ugly. So, so how do you let your worries stay small? You bring them to God. What I'm saying is don't lose your head. Don't lose your edge. Don't lose your weight. Protect the head. A good fighter blocks or dodges headshots. When I first started training for a brawl for a cause, that first time I had this strategy that I would use my face to block his punches. And I was good at it. Everyone, I blocked every single punch with my face. First couple of sparring sessions. A lot of those were thrown by Joe. Like I didn't know how to block it or dodge it. Well, guess what? You ain't going to win too many fights like that. Know how you uh, win a fight is get good enough to where you can either block those headshots or dodge them. And you want to get good at attacking their head. That's how you win or lose. A good fighter blocks or dodges headshots and tries to find opportunities to attack the opponent's head. Why? The head is valuable. Where the head goes, the body goes. This man lost the axe head and common sense says, jump in the river. Right? I mean, it slipped. It flew out of your hand, whether it was his fault or not, or he knew it was loose or not. Either It doesn't matter. It flew in the river. So common sense says, if I want to get that axe head back, I'm going to have to jump into the Jordan River. And I'm probably not going to find it because the river's flowing down and it's muddy waters in the Jordan. You can't see to the bottom. Like, there's probably, I don't know if you've ever dropped anything in a river, but it's the chances are you're probably not finding it, right? But common sense would have said when that thing flew in that's your only hope dive in the water after it and start feeling around in the mud the only way you're going to get that thing back and everyone would agree well if you want it you better go get it not run to the man of God not cut down a tree branch off of that bush and chunk it in the water right exactly where the axe head fell and it's going to swim you're an idiot Right? Like that doesn't, that makes no sense. What makes sense is you want it back. I guess you better jump in the river. 
That's your only hope in the natural. Your problem is not a problem. It's a test. Huh? No, I got a problem. No, this is, I have a problem. You, you're talking to somebody else. Just hear me out. They say at the end of your life, you will be remembered for the problems that you solved or the problems that you created. <clears throat> Think about that. A problem will test you. So here's my question for you. When you experience a problem, when you experience loss, when you experience great damage, all these things that that we've been talking about, when you experience something like that, does it push you towards God or away from Him? Do you continue to do in the dark what you knew to do in the light. Like, cool, cool. Um, That's awesome. When everything's going good that you can say, run to God. He's a strong tower. Great. You can stand up and worship Him and praise and, and point to God, my rock. That's awesome that you can do that when things are good. But what about when things are really bad? What, what about, like, do you run to God when you're in the middle of the storm? When you're being tested? When there's something that you don't understand? Like, when everything is bad, do you run to God or do you run to worry? Or do you slip back into depression? Do you run back to substance abuse? Or do you run back to... Your old ways, your old patterns, your old neuro pathways of whatever it is, your go-to. Where do problems push you? It's a test. Jesus' brother James said this. Look at James 1, 2. My brethren... Count it all joy or strength when you fall into diverse temptations. Diverse means all kinds. So all different kinds of temptations. The word temptations was a Greek word that means test, trial, temptation, or to try. It's a test. So count it all joy when you fall into all kinds of tests and temptations. How? Verse 3 tells us, knowing this, that the trying or the testing of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. That's complete, mature, grown, adult. Um, The Message Bible words it like this. This is James 1 two through four in the message bible consider it a sheer gift friends when tests and challenges come at you from all sides yay you know that under pressure your faith life is forced into the open and it shows its true colors so don't try to get out of anything prematurely 
Let it do its work so that you become mature and well-developed, not deficient in any way. James said, let it work for you. Pass the test. In verse 2 where it said, my brethren, count it all joy. That word count is a Greek word. It was, it was translated count. This is pretty cool. Um, where it says count or consider it all joy. Some translations say this word means to lead. I'm not going to let trouble lead. I'm not going to let fear lead. The word means to rule, to command, to have authority over, to oversee, to be chief and commander, to lead in speech. Like the things I say. It's to consider or to think. So James said, when I'm in trouble, when I'm being tested, I have to let joy lead. I, I have to let joy lead the way. Not my feelings, not fear. I got to consider it and stop and think about it. And I'm going to let joy, gratitude, and praise lead the way. I will take responsibility for my actions, for my thoughts, for my feelings. Like, I can't let them lead, especially in this moment. Because they're going to take me to a dark place. James said, make a decision that joy will lead. That gratitude and praise and thanksgiving is going to lead me. Why? Because that's how we pass the test. That's how we get stronger. That's how God works it together for good. And even if we don't understand, we make a decision to let joy lead even if our feelings want to lead somewhere else. No. I'm going to let joy lead. So what or who will you run to? When you lose your head, when you feel yourself slipping, when you've lost your edge, when you can't do what you were called to do, when you've experienced great loss, who will you run to? Can I tell you that your mistakes have been less significant than you think? Right, we get so down on ourselves for things we've done wrong or played like I should have done this or I shouldn't have done that or I like my past or my your mistakes have been less significant than you think this man was upset because he thought that he failed he thought I didn't get the tree chopped down I lost the axe head that I borrowed from somebody I don't know like he, he thought he was a failure you know, lots of people are experiencing anxiety. And I heard it explained this way. Anxiety is experiencing failure in advance. Can I tell you today, you have not failed. You haven't failed. In fact, you need to stop giving failure power in your life. You're not a failure. 
you might have made a mistake. You might have lost some things. You might have experienced some. Yeah, yeah. But you are not a failure. That's not who you are. That's not your story. Stop giving failure power. You have not failed. You have provided God an opportunity to show up and restore right where you lost your head. Everybody fails. Everybody loses things. The only reason you fail is because you accept failure. You stop trying. You stop moving forward. You said, okay, well, I guess I am a failure. I'm not going to try that anymore. Well, then you are a failure. It's because you accepted that. Don't accept failure as your final destination. Well, Dusty, you don't understand. I, I can't fix this. Right? This situation is out of my control. I, this, the things that I've done or the things that were done to me or the thing like this whole, I, I can't fix it. Yeah, neither could he. And we just read the story. It got fixed. It got restored. And, and it was out of his control as well. Right? That's generally what has to happen for you to rely on or trust God or to have faith is it has to be something you can't fix. You can't make it okay. You can't control it. Otherwise, why would you need God? You could just fix it and control it yourself. Like he couldn't fix it either. Like if it would have, the axe head would have slipped off and gone in the bushes, he could have just grabbed it and fixed it. Right? And went on with his day and finished chopping down his tree. It wouldn't have been a big deal if it would have gone in the bushes. But it hit the water and it went down. I know. I know it went down and you lost it. I know you lost the job. I know you lost that. That marriage, it just slipped away. I know you lost that home. I know you lost that girl or that guy. Or maybe you lost your virginity. Or maybe you lost sobriety. Or I know. And I know it hurt. And I know you lost so much time. Maybe you feel like you just lost time and that it just slipped away and you wasted so many years and you can't get it back you can't fix it I know but on every axe there are two parts a head and a handle and God says today that he can handle it that boy was still holding a handle What you have left is enough. Do you believe it? I know you lost the head. It flew in the water. It's gone. It went down. It sunk. But you've still got the handle. And God says today that he can handle it. I like the fact that God didn't make it shoot into his hand like Thor's hammer. <laughs> That would have been awesome if it shot out of the water and like landed in his hand. No. God made it swim, and then he said, now you grab it. 
I'm going to have to step down there in the mud and get close to the water and try to lean over into the Jordan and, and grab that thing. And what if it stops swimming? Well, he said, all right, I'm going to do the super, super, but I'm going to still require you to do the natural. You're going to have to do what you can do. Grab it. I've learned that God will put what you need in reach, but he won't drop it in your hand. See, He wants you to do the natural. Why? So that you can be part of the story. It's faith that pleases God. And faith and hope are what, com- are what catapults us into the future. I believe what you have in your hand is enough. It's enough. I don't know what you've lost. I, I don't know your specific situation. I don't know where you're at mentally and emotionally and but what you have is enough God can handle it he did four things and we've talked about them all first thing he did was he was honest when he lost it he was honest about what happened that I lost it and that it wasn't even mine it was borrowed You got to be honest. The second thing he did was he went straight to God about it, to the man of God. Then that was their their voice to God. He went straight to God about it. It's what we just read in all those different scriptures. It's what Peter tells us to do is to cast and unload everything. It's to take it all to God. He He went to God about it. He didn't do what was logical. He didn't dive in the river trying to feel around in the mud for it. He didn't start asking his buddies around there to help uh, start a GoFundMe so he could buy a new axe head for the guy that he borrowed it from. No. The first thing he did was ran to God. When the test came, when the trial came, he ran straight to God. Third thing he did, so he was honest, he went to God. The third thing he did He took God back to it. Remember the prophet said, take me to the place where you lost it. And so what he had to do was he went to God and he poured it out on God. And and I think a lot of us, we've gotten pretty good at that. Like we take it to God, we pray about it, we bring it to God. But then do we bring God, do we bring him and his presence and his spirit, do we bring it back to our place of loss? Do we bring God back to our place of brokenness so that we can see restoration and healing? This is what psychologists would do when when they would take you back to your childhood and go back to places of great abuse or pain and try to help you find healing and walk through and process these things. The prophet said, take me to the exact spot where you experienced the loss. Take me to the spot where you lost your head. Take me to the spot where it slipped, where, where you couldn't hold it anymore. Where Take me to that spot. Let's see what I can do. Got to take God back to it. Oh, I wanted to tell you one more, one more scripture. I about forgot about it. Hebrews 10, 19. So friends, 
we can now without hesitation walk right up to God into the holy place. Jesus has cleared the way by the blood of his sacrifice acting as our priest before God. See, now we can just go straight to God. The curtain unto God's presence is his body. So let's do it full of belief, confident that we're presentable inside and out. Let's keep a firm grip. See that? Keep a firm grip. Let's hold on tight so that it doesn't slip, that we don't lose it, that it doesn't fly into the water. Let's keep a firm grip on the promises that keep us going. He always keeps His Word. Let's see how inventive we can be in encouraging love and helping out. Not avoiding worshiping together. As some do, but spurring each other on, especially as we see the big day approaching. He was honest. He went to God about it. He took God back to it. And the last thing, he grabbed it. He obeyed. He had enough faith to do what he could do. To reach out and grab it. We talked about this a lot, but you know God is a God of movement. Two-thirds of his name is go. God is a God of movement. Uh, Why don't I end with that? You don't have to do it all. You don't have to do everything. You, you don't have to do it all, but do something. It's okay if your faith is small. Remember, Jesus taught us that. It's okay if your faith is small. But if your Jesus is small, that's a problem. It's okay if you have little tiny faith the size of a mustard seed, but it's not okay if your God's small. If you believe that God's not big enough to take care of your situation or that God doesn't care about your accent because he does no matter how big no matter how small do what you can do run to the Father be honest and take him back to the place where it went down then what? just grab it it doesn't have to make sense You just have to trust. Let's pray. God, we thank you. Thanks for speaking to us. God, help us to not just be hearers. Help us to apply the word to our lives. God, help us to be honest about our situation, about our struggles, about the areas where we're slipping and we're losing it or where we've lost our head where... Maybe we're just not sharp anymore. So God, first of all, help us to be honest with you and honest with at least one other person, somebody that we can be honest with. I thank you for the reminder that if it matters to us, it matters to you. And we're going to bring it all to you because we want your peace. We want your peace to stand on guard of our hearts and our minds.
And God, today we commit to take you back to our places of brokenness. We commit to take you and your presence back into our places of loss and hurt and pain and panic and fear. Because we want to see restoration. And we want to see healing. And we believe that you're big enough and strong enough to do it. And God, lastly, we commit that we'll reach out and grab it. We'll do what we can do. We're listening for your voice. We're going we're gonna to keep on moving. We're going to keep on chasing purpose. We're going to cut with a sharp axe. God, we love you. We thank you for what you're doing. We thank you for being a living God that speaks. In Jesus' name. Amen.